That was awful. As in screaming, feces-throwing, monkey, ghastly. Uh, well, welcome to the Bulwark Podcast, the morning after. All of America is hungover from what we saw last night. Um, let's do a little... Our friends at The Recount did a little bit of a pundit montage immediately after last night's first presidential debate. That was a shit show. That was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire, inside a train wreck. It was not a presidential debate. It was mud wrestling. Two third graders who were trying to hold their breath longer. It was the worst debate in the history of presidential debates. I could go for the rest of my life not seeing another debate like that. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. God have mercy on your soul. Okay, I, I never pass up a chance to play a Billy Madison qu- quote. So joining us to break all of this down, we brought in a special team. Will Salatin from Slate Magazine joins us again, and former Congressman David Jolly. Okay, so did you guys actually watch the whole thing? I'm mean, just just be, be. I mean, I did because I had to. I had to do a live feed, but that was that was excruciating. That was among the 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 most painful ninety minutes of television I've ever watched. So, uh, Will, did you hang in there the whole time? Uh, I did, Charlie, and uh, but I have to say, I looked back at my notes from the debate, and at one point, I had written. Uh, we're 20 minutes in and I want to stop watching. Uh, and it was strictly out of professional obligation that I literally uh, have to write about the debate that I continue taking notes. I really was done with it. Okay, David. Uh, sure. Look, I call it an occupational hazard, like uh, for each of us who are involved in this industry. But I think you raise a good point, Charlie, which you and I were briefly talking about. Did it dampen enthusiasm may be the wrong word, but look, for those for those low intensity voters, and it's hard to to mm-hmm. think of those low intensity voters and get in their mindset because so many of us eat and breathe all of this. But if last night was the first night you were really tuning in to see these two candidates, I think you tuned out just as quickly and flipped over to HGTV. And that that has a real impact. Right. Did last night dampen enthusiasm among people who otherwise might be looking to vote on November 3rd? Yeah, I was kind of wondering who did stick through the whole thing. Um, I had professional obligations as well. By the way, I should mention this. Uh, we had our first Bulwark Plus live stream right afterwards, and we were uh, uh, totally blown away by the number of our subscribers that that signed on, given all of the other alternatives, including, you know, w- you know, watching paint dry or something else after <laughs> the debate. I mean, they stuck through the debate and then they they joined us. Uh, Tim Miller, Sarah Longwell, uh, Jim Swift and uh, Mona Charon. And, and we we. I have to say that I had been sort of dreading having to do it because I, I, you know, was hoping to start drinking early during the debate. But by the end, and so about the time that Will's writing down in his notes, I wish this was over. I said, screw the no drinking rule. I'm I'm going for it. But there was a certain therapy to watching, um, to to being able to talk about it afterwards. Look, um, the the montage I just played, um, I, I, I thought was was pretty good, except that. And, and I, I, I hate to use this term, but there was a little bit of both siderism, both siderism there. I mean, look, Biden could have been sharper. I mean, he let some of Trump's jibes go unanswered. In the beginning, I thought he seemed kind of old and shaky. Um, I, you know, the constant interruptions, I think, did fluster him a bit. I thought he got better as time went on. And some of the instant polls suggest he won the night. But but the real story of last night is not not him. It was Trump. The president of the United States who came in and I, I mean, I, it was 
it's sort of ping pong back and forth between horrific and shambolic. So give me your take, Will. I mean, this was this was Donald Trump's strategy to somehow reset a race that he was losing before that began last night. Yeah. And I feel like I now I want to speak to that audience of people that David's talking about who are just tuning into the election and say, folks, what you saw last night was what we in the press have been seeing the whole four years. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't you may not have watched all the White House briefings. You may not have watched all the interviews with Trump. But this is how it's been the whole time. This guy behaving pretty much this way, just breaking all the rules because he never had to follow them. He's not a politician. He comes in, he breaks rules, he gets elected. What the heck? I can keep breaking rules. He he does this. And what you saw Chris Wallace do is what has happened to the press. We're just not prepared to deal with a guy who behaves this way. And so you have the bizarre spectacle of Chris Wallace saying pretty much at the end of the debate, as he's trying to get in a word edgewise, gentlemen, plural, like he's talking to both of them because the press is so unprepared to speak to a situation where one candidate is completely violating the rules. The other one is crossing the line every so often, but there's no parody at all. And the press doesn't know how to convey that without seeming to be a player in the confrontation. You know, I think that's an interesting point. And I I was thinking about that yesterday, that if the audience really was as big as people thought, then, then you would have tens of millions of people who were going to see the Donald the Donald Trump that we've been watching for four years, but for the first time, they were you know not everybody watches cable news, right? Not everybody's watching these daily briefings or the rallies, and if they stuck with it, and I'm kind of with David on this, that I think a lot of normal human beings made the right choice and, and turned it off, uh, but um, th- that 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 was that was an ugly picture of him. So. David, let's, let's let's talk about this. Uh, let, let me just can we just talk about Chris Wallace for a moment. So a lot of beating up on Chris Wallace, but and 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 I, you know, I was frustrated too. But short of throwing himself on the podium or you know hammering a non-existent mute button, I don't know what you can do if you have somebody like Donald Trump who just doesn't give a shit about the rules, right? I mean, no, that's I mean, exactly David, right. isn't that kind of the story, you know? Yeah, that's exactly right. I, Chris Wallace was in an impossible situation, and nobody could have performed any differently than Chris without some mechanical support of a of a mute button, as you mentioned, or the ability to cut to commercial. And look, the way Donald Trump was behaving, I fully expected at some point when Trump wanted to keep going, I expected Trump to say to Chris Wallace, I'm the president of the United States, and I'm going to keep talking if I want to keep talking, because that yeah. was the type of attitude. So I, look, I don't think we can beat up on Chris I do think, though, we look, we we always face a kind of uh, a contributor inflection point, if you will, where do we make a value based assessment of the event or a political based assessment? And how do we keep the two Mm -hmm. different Mm -hmm. from a value based assessment? Everything you and Will have said is right. Look, this is this is who Trump is. This is almost what we expected. And we got to see it on full display and we can condemn it as not being presidential and a low point for presidential debates from a political assessment, though. And it's not both sides ism. I think we did get a lot of glimpses into Joe Biden, the candidate last night. And I don't think they were all good. Mm -hmm. Look, he was trying to be presidential and empathetic. It's his strong point. And that's what Trump kept disrupting. But on a number of questions, there were a number of moments where I think it is fair to say, all right, who is Joe Biden, the candidate? Because we got to see him last night and there were several questions he did not handle well at all. Give me an example. 
Well, so first of all, and I can't believe this isn't the story today. It was it was his Alexander Haig moment when he said, I am the Democratic Party. Whatever I say yeah. now, yeah. I am the Democratic Party. I think there's a lot of people in the Democratic Party who would say, hold on, Joe, you're our nominee, but we're a big tent. Uh, his handling of the Green New Deal, he still doesn't have a great way to handle that. And with Trump always disrupting him, it showed on the public option and Medicare for all. Again, because Trump kept interrupting him, he didn't have a clean answer. His refusal to answer the question on packing the court was an awful moment. And when he actually said, when I say what I want it to be, then that will be what it will be. It, <laughs> Joe Biden didn't have a, a good night on those on those moments. But at the same time, you do have to recognize, I don't know who could have with Donald Trump continuing to berate him and throw things his way. It put Biden on his heels. But even on substance, he wasn't able to deliver what he wanted to deliver okay. last night. And it's fair to make that assessment. OK, so, well, your, your, your assessment of Biden. Did, did, well, did you think he was weak in those ways? Not in those ways. Uh, I, I mean, my initial reaction to Biden was I thought, man, this guy looks old and yep. weak. Um, a, a, as you know, Charlie, I was a supporter of Pete Buttigieg in the primaries. Yeah. And one reason why is I was afraid of moments like not just moments, but campaigns like this. Joe Biden just doesn't have force. He doesn't seem terribly with it or coherent. I was dying for a 50 year old on that stage last night. Uh, so I thought that in, from that standpoint, Biden was a little weak. But in terms of what he did say, uh, I thought he did pretty well. And specifically, the moment that David's talking about, I actually thought that was a good moment for Biden when he said, I am the Democratic Party, for the simple reason that Trump's whole rap on Biden has been that he's a puppet of the left, that he's weak, sleepy old Joe. Uh, you may think he's moderate, but in fact, but in fact, you, Bernie Sanders and AOC and these other people are actually controlling him. So for Biden to say that, that I am the Democratic Party, kind of took a firm stand and snuffed that out. And the real test for me was what would Trump say the morning after? And what Trump did say is he tweeted that Biden alienated and lost the left mm -hmm. during the debate. And that was a, that's a big thing because that signals that Trump and his people are acknowledging that Biden succeeded in triangulating, Interesting. Succeeded Interesting. In identifying himself with the middle against the left. And now they're going to try to play that card against Biden. OK, so it, did he lose the left, though? Are you seeing any indication that the that the Bernie bros are going, yeah, screw Joe Biden? No, not at all. In fact, oh. AOC already tweeted that she's, you know, despite their differences, she's with Biden. The left, you know, one of the things that Trump has accomplished in this election is that by being so pugnacious and threatening, he has, instead of driving the left away from the center, splitting the Democratic Party, he has galvanized. I mean, there's no one who is more willing at this point to hmm. stand behind Joe Biden and everything he says, no matter how much it doesn't go where the left wants to go than Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders has been hmm. super clear that he sees Trump as an authoritarian menace, and he has sucked it up and accepted lots of stuff that Joe Biden has said to appeal to the middle. Okay, I have a slightly contrarian take to this because I I, I think... Um, I think, David, you and I watch debates in the same way where because we we listen to what people are saying <laughs> so, so, and, 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 and in our heads, we're going, this is what you should be saying. So when, when, right. when Trump is saying we've had these rallies and there's been no negative consequences, you know, I'm screaming at the set. Herman Cain, Herman Cain right. would like a word, but they don't do that. So so I'm often frustrated or 
have a different take than than other people to to these debates um, because I go through and say, okay, here was a point that he should have made. He should have answered this point, and there were a number of those things, and and some of those answers were shaky. But I wonder if now we're talking the mo uh, morning after, really the debate was not about anything they said. It wasn't about these policy positions. Yeah. It is about the noise and the atmospherics that people are, you know, that that you know, we we we, we pundits will often think that we, you know, yes, this difference between this policy and this policy or the way they they had it, when the overall take was just watching Donald Trump as this blustering crackhead boor um, constantly interrupting and, and being obnoxious. So in other words, the, the obnoxiousness just drowns out everything that you were talking about before. Yeah. And, and to your point, Charlie, I, I said going into the debate, a divisive debate helps nobody. It, it certainly energizes the base. And, and to Will's point, you know, the left has to stay energized and if there are any areas where Biden can't energize the base, boy, Trump is doing it for Biden because he is such a an angry, polarizing figure that the AOCs and the Bernies are saying, look, we're we're mobilizing whether Biden's our first choice or not. We're mobilizing because Trump's that bad. And a divisive debate last night plays into that dynamic. Right. The I'm sure the MAGA crowd was excited to see. Uh, mm -hmm. Trump behaving the way he did. And I'm sure the left was mobilized saying we got to get rid of this guy. But was there any benefit to to the people who are either undecided or just not motivated? Perhaps they're decided not motivated. I got a very telling text from a friend last night. He's a financial planner or a wealth manager in Southern California who voted for Trump. I believe he voted for Trump last mm -hmm. go round. And he and I have been talking throughout the year that he really doesn't like Trump and he he's not sure Trump deserves four more years. But as he watched the Democratic primary, he was that typical disaffected Republican who yeah. said, boy, I'm not sure I can buy into this. And then honestly, the Kamala pick, he said, I don't know, that might be too progressive. He texted me last night after having two weeks ago said he's probably going to hold his nose and vote for Trump. He said after tonight. Trump and the Senate should just confirm Justice Barrett and then Trump should concede the election on November 4th. <laughs> and that was an interesting take of somebody who said, you know, enough is enough. I We can't take this Trump dynamic anymore. So finish off the confirmation process, get the final policies in place and then exit stage left. Well, you know, Will, the, the other you know, overriding thing to point here is that, you know, Donald Trump was down by by seven points. And I'm, I'm trying to think of anything he did that would narrow that gap, because in particularly and that, that he thinks that that hectoring Joe Biden about Hunter Biden, which I think was one of the real lowlights of the of, of, of the whole night, you know, particularly when Joe Biden is trying to talk about his dead hero son, Bo Biden, and Trump just kind of rolls over him. And that was that was really a, a shit show. My my guess is that 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 kind of exchange is really going to continue to turn off suburban women. And he has I mean, the story of the of this campaign has been just the hemorrhaging of women. I just can't imagine any undecided or soft, uh, you know, voters watching that back and forth and going, yeah, you know, because of that Hunter Biden exchange, I, I'm more likely to vote for Donald Trump. Yeah, one of the great weaknesses of Donald Trump is that uh, all of us having this conversation understand that in politics, 
your job is to get a majority of the electorate and to if you don't have it when you start and he didn't he never won it you need to be reaching out and bringing new people into your coalition and he's had lots of opportunities to do that he's had a good economy he's had some good issues uh and trump is just not capable of that he doesn't think that way the, the whole performance that he gave in this debate was what the performance you would give if you thought your job was to be to look strong from your point right. of view and to add, mobilize your people uh that what really struck me in the debate was that so many of the fights that trump picked in the debate were not useful were not with anybody he needed to beat um he alienated people he i mean the captain quig moment is is one of them where he's well, you know, why exactly do you need to go after the previous president and claim that you've been spied on and unless you're just airing every grievance you have why do you need to call elizabeth warren pocahontas in the middle of the debate out of nowhere right i mean you might there might be a Warren supporter out there who you could at least not alienate by doing that or some Democrat who doesn't think you're a racist, but Trump just can't stop himself. So he may have thought that he was scoring points in some sort of bizarre way. But in reality, every one of those fights didn't help him and probably hurt him. OK, you mentioned the Captain Quig moment. I was going to do the white supremacy thing first, but since you brought it up and uh, I need to constantly remind myself that, you know, below a certain age of People don't understand what we're talking about here. Captain Quig being the the classic uh, uh, book by Herman Wokeman. People remember it from the the great scene with Humphrey Bogart, who is the captain, Captain Quig. And he basically under questioning breaks down, ah, the strawberries. I had them with the strawberries. I caught them with the strawberries. And I will tell you, there was a moment near the end. It was almost his, his summation where uh, D Donald Trump went full Captain Quig. Let's let let's let's play that. I want to talk about that. When I listened to Joe talking about a transition, uh, there's been no transition from when I won. I won that election. And if you look at crooked Hillary Clinton, if you look at all of the different people, uh, there was no transition because they came after me trying to do a coup. They came after me spying on my campaign. Mm -hmm. They started from the day I won and even before I won, from the day I came down the escalator with our first lady. They were a disaster. They were a disgrace to our country. And we've caught them. We've caught them all. We've got it all on tape. We've caught them all. And by the way, you gave the idea for the Logan Act against General Flynn. You better take a look at that because we caught you in a sense. And President Obama was sitting in the office. He knew about it, too. So don't tell me about a free transition. As far as the ballots are concerned, it's a disaster. A solicited ballot Okay, solicit it is okay. You're soliciting, you're asking, they send it back, you send it back. I did that. If you have an unsolicited, they're sending millions of ballots all over. Okay, so feel the paranoia. <laughs> but I caught them, I caught them. So David, I mean, you know, if, if you have not immersed yourself in, in, in Fox News, the Federalist paranoia, sure. people are going, what the hell is he talking about? Sure. And look, what was on display is Donald Trump's fatal flaw, which is this this ego that runs into these conspiracy theories. And you saw that on full display. I I will say what and, and on the Hunter Biden issue, particularly, that's another one of these mm -hmm. questions. Why would why would he spend time on that? I can tell you that Republicans believe and look, the way they gain ground is not by improving Donald Trump's positives. It's not going to happen. The way they gain ground on Biden is by pulling Biden down. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that's their strategy. And so I, I've emails, had conversations. Yeah, I've had conversations with leading Republicans who have said, despite 47 years in office, most people don't know 
Joe Biden's record. They don't know who he is. And so he's been permitted in this COVID environment to be the empathetic leader, but he hasn't been defined. And, and this is where Donald Trump lets his ego get the best of him. What Republicans want to do is define Joe Biden as corrupt because of the Hunter Biden situation. They want to say that Joe Biden and Barack Obama authorized the investigation into the Trump campaign. Now, those might be out of bounds, certainly in traditional uh, presidential races, and they might push the truth. But as political races go, that's what they want to tag Biden with, corruption. But, but Donald Trump can't even deliver those blows appropriately. He leaves people scratching their heads saying, what is this kook thinks he, he's saying? I don't understand. He's crazy. See, this is at, at, at the moment when he OK, I'm, I'm going to mix some metaphors here and I'm going to be deeply offensive. So I apologize in advance. At the moment when he should be wooing the nation, trying to seduce the 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 swing voters, he's basically gone back to this is Trumpian pornography. This is the porn hub, <laughs> which is what we talk about. But we caught them on Obama gate. And then there's Hunter Biden and people are going, what? the hell? What has this got to do with my family? So, Will, you know, I mean, that really was a Captain Quig moment. And it, it, it was, you know, if there was any question about is the president going to be disciplined? Is he going to be on message? That was Twitter Trump on stage last night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and Twitter Trump picks fights constantly. And what what's so weird to me as a political reporter is there's only one fight you need to win. And that is to beat Joe Biden in this election. And to beat him, you you can have a, you know, millions of people vote for you who you don't agree with and they don't see things your way on a bunch of other things. You just need their vote and any way you can get it. And so to to keep picking fights, uh, first of all, sends a message that you're just about picking the fights and not about what the fights are. But secondly, you're finding more and more people who are going to have, I mean, you're going to, you're, you, the more differences you talk about, the more you're going to find yourself on the wrong side of these voters. The, the Hunter Biden, Bo Biden moment, the striking thing to me about that was, okay, Joe Biden has just talked about the good son, right? The good yeah. son who went, who went to serve, who died young, uh, who was the hero. And now you want to talk about Hunter Biden. And there's good reasons for Trump to want to talk about Hunter Biden, because during the whole debate, Joe Biden has been positioning himself as Mr. Scranton middle class. And here's his son raking in millions of dollars, mm -hmm. profiting off his dad's service, his dad's name. So that's fine. But all you need to do in this moment is to pause for a moment to acknowledge the goodness and the service and the loss of, of Bo Biden. And Donald Trump could not bring himself to do that. He said, I don't know anything about Bo Biden, which yeah. was kind of a horrific statement. Everybody knows something about this. And then he could have pivoted to talk about Hunter, but he went straight to Hunter as though he had no grace because he doesn't. Uh, and he kind of just blew that transition so that by the time he was talking about the next thing, a lot of people just thought this is an ill-behaved person. Well, and the headline in Vanity Fair sort of captured that moment that Trump interrupts Joe Biden talking about dead son to call the one that's still alive a deadbeat. I mean, it was a cringeworthy moment. All right. So the, as far as I can tell, the the, the headline in most uh, the, the the headline in most coverage of this, at least early this morning when I was looking at this, was focusing on the comments about the Proud Boys and his failure once again to condemn white supremacy. Let's play that soundbite and let's 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 break this one down. We criticized the, the vice president for not specifically calling out Antifa and other left wing That's extremist right. groups. But are you willing tonight 
to condemn white supremacists and militia groups sure. and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland. Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to do specifically that, do it? Well, I, would ahead, say, I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing. Not from the right wing. So what are you, what are you, you, look, what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I'm, it. Do it. Say it. Do you want to call them? What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. White supremacists and right boys. Who would you like me to condemn? White supremacists and right boys. Stand back and stand by. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left, because this is not a right-wing problem. His this is a left-wing problem. This is a left-wing problem. White supremacist. Antifa is an idea, not an organization. Oh, you got it. Not malicious. That's what his FBI, his FBI director said. Well, then you know what? No, no, So, you know, this would be one of the easy things. You know, most MAGA heads are, of course, you know, saying how great Donald Trump is, but not everybody. In fact, you tell the folks from Fox News thought that this was this was really this was another one of the Charlottesville style blunders given a very clear chance. And he talks about the Proud Boys that they should stand by rather than stand down. I suppose if you really wanted to be if you really wanted to be charitable, it was just Donald Trump mangling his words. You know, he hears stand down and he turns it to stand by. But um, in, in the real world, the the Proud Boys, which is a racist organization, they're thrilled. They think they got name checked. They I mean, they are completely jazzed that they got an endorsement from the president of the United States for them to stand stand by. So, Will, give me your take on that. Well, I think this goes back to uh, David's point about ego. Trump is all about ego. You know, I have I have a very different view of Donald Trump from some of my friends who are liberal. Uh, I don't think Trump is in the pocket of Russia, per se. I don't think Trump is a racist, per se. I think Trump is simply indifferent to all morals other than are you for or against Donald Trump. So if you're Vladimir Putin and you're for Donald Trump, well, he loves you. He doesn't really care that you're the president of Russia. If you are a racist organization, he's happy to exploit race. He's a demagogue, but he doesn't have a, a, a deep investment in white supremacy. So all he hears in this question is, the that the right wing militias and the racists are for Trump. That's all he hears. Yeah. And because of that, he's willing to overlook uh, whether they are racists or whether they are killing people. And what was so striking to me in that moment is how quick he is. He wants to get to that but part of the sentence. OK, I'll say what you want me to say. Stand back, stand by, whatever. Uh, but he wants to go, go back and talk about the left and spend as little time as possible distancing himself from or criticizing the racists on the right uh, just because they support him. David? Yeah, Charlie, probably the darkest moment in the history of presidential debates. And mm. and I say that mm. with some license that, look, this is a question we all will have regarding Donald Trump's views on race, and we can each reach our own conclusions. And And I don't fully disagree with Wills, right? Is it just an indifference or does he actually harbor certain feelings? And we can never know exactly what's in the heart of a man. Charlie, to your point, I tried to assess in real time, what did he just say? Because Chris Wallace teed up the stand down he, he, phrase. And Joe Biden was saying into his microphone, proud boys, proud boys, proud boys. And so is this Donald Trump's just word salad saying stand mm -hmm. back and stand by. But but here's where a greater assessment provides clarity for us. 
fundamentally, it shows a complete lack of presidential leadership in that moment to recognize on an issue of white supremacy. I need to give clarity to the nation as to our ideals and the spirit of our country and who we are. And as the president, this is a clear moment for me to condemn white supremacy. I don't need to be prompted and I don't need to be coached through it. Secondly, if he mangled it, if it was simply a bad moment, in the history of the presidency, the first spin room statement from the White House, from the Republicans, the first press statement issued would say the president misspoke. He condemns white supremacy and they would be on offense, but they're not because they don't care, which leads to this lingering question we all have about Donald Trump and this administration. Why don't they care? about an issue so significant as white supremacy, which is why I think it probably was the darkest moment in the history of presidential debates. See, this is an interesting question. And and, and I think Will's on to something that that in, in many ways, Donald Trump, his narcissism makes him an empty vessel. He is he, he is kind of the Trojan horse for everyone, which is kind of ironic because this is the allegation against Joe Biden of that he's a stalking horse for the far left, when in fact, um, Donald Trump has made it clear over and over and over again that he will embrace or wink at any extreme right wing white supremacist, white nationalist organization as long as they support him. But to, to, the, to the comment about what happened last night. You cannot look at it in isolation. This has been a pattern since he began this campaign from the moment that he and Steve Bannon decided that white nationalists were part of his coalition. He has again and again and again refused to do just the basic, easy gesture of distancing himself from him. Or if he does do it rhetorically, he will walk this back. And so he has he's breathed life into them. He is the wind beneath their wings. Um, he's giving them, you know, the, the wink and the thumbs up. Uh, he's encouraged them to go into places like Portland. He has encouraged the militias. He has encouraged uh, the the kind of vigilanteism that that you've seen in in Kenosha, Wisconsin. So it's even if 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 you wanted to say in in you know put your blinders on and go to just those words, maybe there's some sort of a rationalization. But there can't be a rationalization for the last half decade of Donald Trump doing this, right? Will? No, there can't be. I mean, the and and in a way, I think the fact that Trump is a a, a sort of a, a social arsonist rather than having deep-seated yeah. views about Russia or about racism. Uh, and I'm, by the way, I'm not saying the guy's not a racist. He's, he's clearly got, you know, r- racial resentments and, and, and racial uh, uh, feelings about various groups, but he's, he's, he doesn't stand out so much in that way as he does his willingness to uh, treat everything as um, an incendiary liquid that he can throw on. Uh, And it's almost that he doesn't understand how to appeal to anyone other than by appealing to their resentment. So he's happy to appeal to uh, uh, African-Americans by, you know, talking about Joe Biden, calling them predators. He's happy to uh, talk about how he's created more jobs for Hispanics and blacks and everyone else. Um, He's he just doesn't feel in his guts what it is like to be black in this country and to be afraid of these right wing militias. And he, he doesn't, it's, it's almost a weakness of the narcissist, right? I mean, the weakness of the narcissist in a way is democracy. It's that um, everybody gets a vote, including the people you don't like or don't care about. And if you want to reach them, 
if you want to bring them into your coalition, you need to speak to their worries and their fears. So when you hear about the Proud Boys, uh, if you had some empathy for people who were different from you, you might say, I just want to assure you all that I stand firmly against this and this is not yes. what America is about. Yeah. But he doesn't exactly. have that. No, that's easy. And there's there's a sort of related thing to this as well, which is his fascination with the strong man, with the Ubermensch, right? And you 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 see this in a lot of uh, Trumpian media that that he he relishes the cruelty. He he this this is also part and partial of his fascination with people like Vladimir Putin. You know, he will tell stories about atrocities. He will tell stories about um, the use of force and crushing your opponents. There's sort of this this weird fascination with this, and then you blend it together with the you know with groups like the Proud Boy, you know, which are you know strutting around the fact that they are also white nationalists. And, you know, I, I don't like to use words like fascist. I, I really do kind of feel that the first person that plays that card loses. But there's a really disturbing trend in all of this and and his his sort of lack of respect for democratic norms. OK, I have to ask this question because it's sort of hanging out there. There are two more debates. There are we're going to have to go through this two more times. Um, there have been a number of people saying, you know what, if they don't fix this, they should they should just cancel the debates. They shouldn't have the debates. Joe Biden should say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to participate in another shit show. Your reaction. Are we going to go through this two more times? I mean, I, I my, my gut says there's no way that Joe Biden walks away from the debates because he can't. But should there be more debates? What do you think, David? So I had made the case that Joe Biden shouldn't debate Donald Trump at all. And it goes really? back to a lesson. Okay. I, yeah, I, I learned a lesson in Congress. I, I When I was in the U.S. Senate race, there was an opportunity for debate. And I had a fellow member of Congress say to me, hey, you can't debate a liar. And I had made the case early on that Joe Biden should start to control the narrative and say a debate isn't worthwhile. But I get the downside of that and the optics of it and so forth. So I can be convinced otherwise. In this situation now, once Biden has agreed to the debates, I don't think he can back out. I think the question this morning is for the Commission on Presidential Debates and how do they structure the next debates. Now, the rules have been agreed to, but is it a point of muting a microphone or what are the new rules that could create a better forum? That ultimately is on the Commission on Presidential Debates. I don't know that there is anything they can do that yeah. would tangibly change it. I, I would say, though, Charlie, and this is important. Look, regardless if it's a, a circus or a calm debate, whatever it is, if you were a Republican performing voter or a Democratic performing voter, nothing changed for you last night. And I know it's hard to realize this, but there are disaffected Trump supporters and Republicans looking to vote for Joe Biden. And there's more Joe Biden needs to deliver in these moments. And mm -hmm. he is trying to show these presidential, but he's he's got to up his game on the white supremacy moment. Don't play on Don Donald Trump's field. Joe Biden, give us the President Biden speech on white supremacy. When when Trump hits you on investigating his campaign, tell the nation it's because the Trump campaign had contacts with Russia. When Trump hits you on Hunter Biden, tell Donald Trump. I'm not sure the nation wants to talk about children of the president or the presidential candidates. Be crisp with that. And on COVID, stop struggling over the shutdown or not. And don't let Trump define you on that. Tell the nation you want the nation to be safe. Give us give us the Joe Biden presidency. I don't think that was delivered last night. Look, Biden won because Trump lost. 
Yeah. But there is a group of Americans looking for Biden to deliver more for them. Don't lose sight of that in the next debate. Uh, Will, do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with yeah. uh, everything that David yeah. said in the way of advice to Joe Biden, especially. Um, but I would add, uh, and I forget what the line from Napoleon is, don't interrupt your opponent when he's basically destroyed. <laughs> right. uh, so that, that bit of wisdom applies not just to, um, you know, the, the, a moment, but here's an, every debate clearly now is an opportunity for Trump to destroy himself. I mean, if the result of the first debate was Trump broke all the rules and he got away with it, and in fact, he the the uh, the poll afterwards showed people liked his performance more, and that, that now you have something to worry about. But given that it went the other way, if I'm Joe Biden, I'm showing up to every opportunity I can with Trump simply because it's a good bet Trump will behave in pretty much the same way and get the same results. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And, and I was thinking about what, uh, you know, David, uh, what Biden needs to do. And I was hoping and expecting that, in fact, he was going to do that last night. And he was not crisp. Uh, he, he was not clear. Um, but I used a line yesterday when I was doing my newsletter saying that no matter how well Joe Biden is prepared, debating Donald Trump is a little bit like, you know, uh, doing, you know, uh, you know, trying to, uh, you know, decline Latin verbs in the middle of a, of a, hur- a hurricane of bullshit, <laughs> because for Donald Trump, and let's let's give let's give his lizard brain some credit here. He knows what he's doing when he's doing all the interruptions. The interruptions are not just a side thing. They are central to his entire strategy, which is that if I can keep interrupting you, I there's a really good chance that you will lose your temper. You will certainly lose your stream of thought, your, your train of thought. Um, and, and I can rattle you. And so it becomes very, very difficult. And especially when you're standing there and you know that the moderator is not going to be able to stop him and he's going to keep doing it. Uh, it is very, very difficult to do. Now, this, that's not that's not an excuse, but it goes to the question of what the debate folks, uh, the debate commission can do. Maybe the future of our democracy depends on a well-functioning mute button. <laughs> well, know. Charlie, and, and look, I'll get criticized for for an unfair assessment here. But we get to measure how Biden handles that moment. Yes. Right? No, this fair. is Donald Trump. We know that we know Donald Trump's the crazy guy on stage and the mean guy and all those other things. But we get to assess if Joe Biden is up for that. Right. Joe Biden's going to sit across the table from Putin. Whether yeah. or not he meets with Kim Jong Un, we'll, we'll see. But he's going to be an adversarial moments. And honestly, there are people who assessed how Joe Biden handled last night. And that's where he was not as strong as he could have been. And I think his team will will have him prepared for the second one. It doesn't have to be going blow for blow. Honestly, it can be humor. There yeah. could have been humor in the Hunter Biden moment where he turns it on Ivanka and Junior and Eric. But he's got to deliver more. Well, you, you you watch you watch Trump and he he listen he actually does I was surprised to surprise he listens very carefully and so the moment that Biden is going to deliver that line. Trump's going to, you know, interrupt to, to yeah, break that's it. Right. But no, 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 your 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 point is is correct. Okay, so will you know, this year is so different on so many respects. Where do we even start? But one of them is that a lot of people have already voted. And so a lot of us are used to thinking in terms of a normal election process where we still have 34, 35 days to go and and people are waiting for the October surprise. The reality is that millions of people have already made up their minds and have actually cast their votes. So um, that that changes the dynamic in terms of what can what will affect the, the race. So here's the basic question. 
I just don't think that last night changed the fundamentals of this race, which have been, I know it's a cliche now, but it's a cliche because it's true, just remarkably stable. I mean, the, it is, I, I don't recall ever a presidential year where the numbers have been as consistent as they are right now. And I just don't see last night changing that dynamic. So Will, give me your sense of, 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 of the way this campaign is flowing, um, given the fact that really literally today is election day for many Americans. Yeah, well, I will say on the bright side for Trump, I mean, he does, he is the person trailing in the race. So he needs to win people who are presently undecided or not sure whether they're going to vote. The good news for Trump is that although people have started to vote, the people who have started to vote are the ones who knew what they wanted, right? They're the ones who knew mm -hmm. I'm for Biden, I'm for Trump. Very good. So as we go along, the remaining electorate will be the people who are, you know, by definition, still in play. So they, those folks, to some extent, are still, still available. But in the some of the polling last night in some of the uh there was there was a cnn focus group i saw where you can already see trump starting to lose people there's yes cnn focus group of ohioans right two of them most of them stayed undecided uh that's the nature of undecideds unfortunately uh two of them went to trump and four of them went to biden that's four people gone from that group who trump desperately needed right he, he needs to start cleaning up among the remaining people and so his number one, he's not moving the race in his direction. And number two, he's losing people, not even with his positions, just with his behavior. Um, and he just can't afford that. He's got so little margin. I, I was really struck looking at some of the state polling and mm -hmm. how many states Joe Biden is basically around 50 percent in uh, in in the in the polling. Uh, it's above where Hillary Clinton was. And it just gives Trump no margin. So he just he desperately needed to make a difference in this first debate. And he didn't. And I'm not sure in debates two and three, assuming they happen, that those folks will be particularly open to hearing from the guy who behaved this way in debate one. OK, so, David Jolly, we're, we're almost done here. But give me the, the, the net effect of the story that, that would normally be just consuming us all the Supreme Court nomination. Uh, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, who uh, I, I think is a very attractive candidate, certainly for conservatives. And by attractive, I, I'm not referring to, you know, to her looks. I'm, I'm referring to her record and her ideology, you know, from the Republican point of view. And she's going to be con confirmed. But is this a net? I mean, and Republicans and Trumpists think that this is a net positive for the president, that, that you know, once she's sitting there and they see the Democrats overplaying their hand and beating up on her, that this, in fact, will... Um, will help Trump in the election. But what what is your sense about the net plus or negative of that Supreme Court uh, nomination? I, I don't think it makes a bit of difference. Really? If you're, if you're a highly informed, highly enthusiastic, highly enthusiastic partisan voter, you see the world one way or another. If you are the available, persuadable voters, look, Donald Trump had the right point last night, despite Mitch McConnell and the Merrick Garland rule, which is not a Garland rule and the intellectual hypocrisy, when Biden said people have elections to decide these things, that's true. Donald Trump's response was, and I was elected for four years yeah. and there's a vacancy and I'm going to fill it. And the Senate is controlled by Republicans. This is not a fight Democrats are going to win. They can argue over the traditional SCOTUS issues around uh, abortion and immigration and health care to mobilize their base. Republicans will do the same. This is not going to persuade any 
any voters in my estimation. And I agree with Will's point. This is a president who's in a unique situation of having to gain ground and having to create momentum. And every time he has a platform to do it, he blows it. And that's what mm-hmm. happened last night, which is why, Charlie, I think the White House has a strategy to try to get this to the House of Representatives under the 12th Amendment. I think their plan the on, slowing, on slowing ballots is to prevent state certification of certain results, kick this to the House of Representatives. You've got a 26-23 Republican state majority and one, I believe, that state that's tied. And that's their fallback strategy if they can pull it off. Okay, so Will, your 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 thoughts on the Supreme Court nomination? Yeah, uh, well, I'm I'm still thinking about what David said at the beginning about uh, pocket the, the friend I think or I forget who it was, but said you know let's let's pocket Amy Coney Barrett, let's pocket the three Supreme Court appointments and get yeah. rid of Trump. Right. I mean, I think I think Trump is basically used up at this point. Uh, the Republicans who made a bargain to accept this guy as president in order to get judges through and get tax cuts, they got it. Uh, I don't think it's going to get any better from here. Um, you know, Trump has been out on the campaign trail at all his rallies talking about the Supreme Court and how appoint, how important it's going to be for the next four years. Well, it turns out it's not going to be so important because you just got that third justice you wanted. And uh, so I don't I'm not sure that's going to work in Trump's favor in terms of saying I need to vote for Trump to get that seat. They've already think, got it. I think this is an underappreciated point that once you've got it, it you, you take the air out of the balloon. That, you know, that it would have been in Trump's interest to say the Supreme Court is on the ballot here. You need to vote for me if you want to get this, because otherwise, for a lot of the transactional Republicans, they voted. They went along with all of this stuff because they wanted the Supreme Court. Well, they got the Supreme Court. Do you want all the other stuff? Do you really want to put up with four more years of that? (laughs) I don't know. So, uh, David, um, you you planted this thing about this uh this dystopian vision of this going to the house of representatives um this is why i've been reading up on the election of 1824 so much because you know but that's right uh, the, that's the, right. The, the corrupt armies that actually did happen and did did long-term damage uh to to american d- democracy you know these are easy things for the president to do to say of course i will accept the election of course i will accept a peaceful transition and his refuse, his aggressive refusal to do that again last night, you know, ought to be one of those moments where you go, look, um, take him at his word when he says that this is what he's going to do, that he's going to challenge the legitimacy of this and that barring a landslide victory, um, he's prepared to do whatever it takes, no matter how much damage there is to hold on to the hold on to the office. And I, you know, Every time I think it can't get any worse than, you know, here's the worst case scenario. Somebody else can come up with another worst case scenario, <laughs> right? So, w- w- Will, uh, you know, you know, what's what's your worst case scenario, or are you an are you the optimist in the group here? <laughs> oh, wait, sorry about about the uh, about the voting in the election. Yeah, I mean, whether we're going to end up in the House of Representatives, I mean, I don't know what what's the worst. Is it the Supreme Court, you know, deciding five four? Um, is that the worst case scenario? Is it a House of Representatives voting by states? Because what percentage of Americans know that that's the way it's decided? Um, or is it is it what is it you know dueling slates of electors? I mean, we, you can come up with you know two thousand with the hanging chads is going to seem like a you know garden party with cucumber sandwiches in comparison. 
Well, you know, technically, of course, the the way it would actually work is there would just be this endless litigation and you'd run into the, the clock. The clock would be running out and you'd have to bring in courts and eventually the, the Supreme Court to, to, to settle yeah. it, to cut the difference. Uh, I, I'm skeptical of the uh, elect, slate of electors uh, strategy, but we, we could end up there. I personally think that Joe Biden was right in the debate that the panic scenarios are overrated and that What's actually going to happen is there will be a vote. It will be clear who won. Uh, it will be Joe Biden and that Trump, for all his talk, will walk away. There's just a misunderstanding of Trump that he's a, you know, we talk about him being a fascist, about an authoritarian. He has those tendencies, but he's a businessman. He just wants to make money and and and, and appease his ego. So he's not going to fight to the bitter end for for an office. It's not the office he wants. He wants he wants fame. He wants uh, wealth. And he wants, he wants grievance he too. Wants he, right. He wants grievance. He, he wants to be able to say, I was not beaten. It was right. stolen from me, but, but I it's, do. Not, it's, it's that he wants to be able to say he didn't really lose. Not that he right. wants to fight to the bitter end about it. I do yeah. wonder what, what the, the legal, uh, you know, issues are, because the moment he walks out of that white house, he becomes, um, much more vulnerable, not just to the criminal prosecutions, but to $400 million in debt. So, there's a lot of reasons why he might do extraordinary things to hang on, but I you want a last word on this, David? Yeah, Charlie, I'll just give a, a quick glimpse of the strategy here. And I agree with Will and Joe Biden that as president, there's really nothing Donald Trump can do to interfere with the election. But as a candidate, he can. And this is the strategy. As a candidate, he can litigate the results at the state level. And if he can get a court, and the 2000 Supreme Court decision was on whether or not the Secretary of State of Florida could certify the election. That will be the litigation question. And if he can prevent certification in states where he doesn't want the votes counted, now he prevents Joe Biden from getting to 270, which moves this to the House. It sounds like a crazy idea, but it's a very simple litigation strategy. And what we know of Donald Trump and frankly, Bill Barr as well, though he is the attorney general, not, not the president's political attorney, he likes to say, this is in the works. This is a strategy that's on the table. And it's one that I'm thinking more and more might be something that Donald Trump pursues. As David Jolly makes an eloquent case for day drinking. Again, <laughs> so <laughs> Will, Will Salas and David Jolly, thank you so much for joining me on an extraordinary moment uh, morning after a just shambolic evening. But I, I appreciate it very much. Good to be with you, Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will do this tomorrow and we will do it all over again. There are just 34 days to go until Election Day.